Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melissa C. I'm from New York, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, August 17th. This is the 7 a.m. meeting. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXIX, the fourth paragraph, in the doctor's opinion, I do not hold, and we'll be reading one paragraph only. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Hue W., for the 12 traditions, Kathy W., readers of the text are Martha Z., Allison L., and the newcomer greeter will be Mary B., and the host for the second meeting, the second hour meeting, is Leslie M. The reference numbers for Monday, August 17th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting, 15169, that's 15169, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Meeting, 15170, that's 15170. Okay, the OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Huey W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Huey. Good morning. This is Huey W., a recovered and recovering compulsive overeater from Connecticut, originally from China. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, 
were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except to one to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for the opportunity to do service, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Huey W. I will now ask Kathy W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. This is Kathy W. uh, from upstate New York. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities, and thank you for allowing me to do service. Thank you, Kathy W. Thanks so much. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I'll, I'll let you know if you go over. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. 
Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today, we resume our study of the big book. We are on page XXIX, the fourth paragraph. I do not hold, and we'll be reading one paragraph only. And I'm going to ask Martha Z to please begin reading for us. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, Melissa. Thank you for your loving service. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from outside of Philadelphia. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And um, good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, so Dr. Silkworth, he starts out, and he's saying he doesn't think it's entirely a problem of mental control. And he talks about knowing men who um, had, that they had worked period of months and on a business deal that was supposed to be settled, you know, something favorably to them, and that they took a drink or so before that. And then the phenomenon of craving became paramount. And the word paramount means most important. Uh, so the appointment wasn't met. So he, one of the things I know is he's referencing a story about Bill W. And um, for, historians forgive me if I don't remember this properly, but Bill had a, had this business deal. They asked him to help with something, and but he was told that he couldn't drink. So he, you know, the whole time he stayed sober. He didn't drink. So right before it's about to be settled, I guess the night before or something, they're, they're passing around this Applejack in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And it goes around the first time, and Bill says, oh, no, no, I don't drink. And it goes around the second time, and he passes it by. The third time, he's got this thought, and the thought is, hey, I've never tried this before. So he drinks it, and then <laughs> you can guess what happened. Everything completely fell apart. And um, so in in this whole thing, you know, he was sober before this happened, but then it says he was drinking to overcome a craving beyond his mental control, craving an intense, urgent yearning for something such as food the effect or the effects of alcohol and drugs. So they're talking about the physical allergy. So I'm thinking, how does this apply to me? And I was thinking about, before I got into OA, every time I dieted, I didn't eat my binge foods, you know, I didn't eat sugar and flour, and, and I'd get down to my goal weight, and I'd say to myself, hmm, you know, now I can have dessert for lunch or dinner, 
And I was on my way back that day. I mean, I was at my goal weight for about 15 minutes. And I, I, it happened several times. And I completely did not understand the allergy of the body. And I was trying to eat this stuff moderately. And there was no way that I could do that. And so today I abstained from my binge foods. I completely abstained from them. And as we will see in, you know, coming up on the next page or so, where it says the only relief is entire abstinence, and I've found that to be the case. So I can be happily, peacefully abstinent only if I abstain entirely from them. And also that I can keep my mental twist straight by um, working my steps. So anyway, thanks for letting me share. Happy to be with all of you. Thank you. Thanks, Martha C., for getting us started. Okay, so... Before I open up the lines for sharing, I want to remind us all that although we do value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day. So if you've shared on um, Friday or Monday, um, we ask that you step back, you know, hang back in order that others might share their experiences too. So with that, who would like to share? Hi, good morning. This is Victoria. Nicole C. in California. One second. I got Wait. Nicole, but there was a bunch of people before that that I met. Kelly Victoria P. L. Nessa R. Tiffany P. Nessa. Christina J. Was, was it Tiffany? Was that a Tiffany? Victoria L. Tiffany P. Tiffany. Okay. P. Christina. There was someone else I missed. Let me tell you who I have. I have Nicole, and I, I'm sorry I didn't write down last initials, so you'll have to help me, guys. I got Nicole, I have Kelly, I have Nessa, Tiffany P., Christina J. There was someone I know I missed there. Victoria. Victoria, that was it. Victoria, what's the initial of your last name? L. Victoria L. Is there anyone else that I overlooked that I didn't hear? Okay, so that's the lineup. It's going to be Nicole, Kelly, Nessa, Tiffany P., Christina J., Victoria L. And um, Nicole, would you um, tell us the initial of your last name and get us started, please? Yes, I'm Nicole C. I'm in Morgan Hill, California. Got it. Good morning, Nicole. Go right ahead. Okay, thank you so much. Um, When it says these men were not drinking to escape, they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control, that helps me stay. It really helps me stay. Um, I used to really hate myself for having such poor will um, before Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I am a compulsive eater, by the way, compulsive overeater. Um, before Overeaters Anonymous, there were periods of time where I would eliminate the flour and sugar, for example, for like a year or something. And then I remember a time I went on a date with someone and his family was Italian and they had homemade Italian ice cream and I thought, well, that would just be rude and it's Italian and I've been doing great for a year and I'll never forget what they said to each other when I ate it. They said, oh my God, look at her. It looks like she's on cocaine and I'll never forget that. That burned into my brain because it was true. I never took a, um, I guess, sober bite from that moment 
until I finally surrendered because there was nothing for me to escape from. My life was good. I was having a great time. I was living a good life, had a good job. I mean, there was really nothing, quote, unquote, wrong that I needed to escape from. And, you know, that one bite, that harmless bite in my mind, because I was doing so well for so long, triggered a phenomenon of craving that was far beyond my mental control. And I proceeded to fight with this illness, you know, every time I took that bite. And today, what's so freeing is that even if I don't, quote unquote, get to have these things in my mind, sometimes my mind says, oh, I don't get to have that, but I'm choosing not to have that for a better life. But even when my mind says that, it's nothing like the craving. Looking at a picture or hearing someone say something about a food that I don't consume today, it's not like I'm overly drawn to it and I can't stop thinking about it because my body is just craving it. It's just, oh, that's just something that I don't eat today. And if we can put down those foods that do that to us, we don't have to fight so hard anymore. And it says we ceased fighting anyone or anything. Um, So I was just really relieved to find out that it's not about escaping. It's about a phenomenon of craving that I have no control over. Um, Thank you so much for letting me share. Nicole C. in California. Thank you so much, Nicole C. Okay, next up is Kelly, and Kelly will be followed by Nessa R. Kelly, could you give us the initial of your last name, please? Sure. Kelly G. in Florida. Okay. Good morning, Kelly G. Good morning. Thanks, Melissa, for your service. Um, I still relate to this. I still relate to this paragraph. Um, For me, too, it was, you know, I could hold off. I can white knuckle it. I can clench my fist for a period of time and convince myself, okay, let me just get through this. Let me just get through this. I'm okay. And this brings me back to college at the University of Miami. And I already had to take a medical leave for school um, for this disease and go into treatment. When I got back out to finish the semester, I I got a grip on it. I got a grip on it, and I was studying for my final exam. I was obviously in recovery. I feel like all of us are perfectionist, 4.0 kind of people. At least I was because I was such oh, I was such a control freak, and I had to be perfect in everything. And I was studying for my last exam, and I was sitting in my apartment, and my roommate certainly was not in program, um, nor did she need to be. And I remember going to the refrigerator and she kept these mini chocolate chips as if it was like a um, decoration for a dessert in the fridge. And I went to go get a drink, water, soda, whatever I was having. um, And I took one chocolate chip. My brain told me I can have one, just one. Just, I needed a little hit. That led me to the entire bag, stopped studying, went out, got all my binge food. I ate so much, so quick. I was on my bathroom floor, could not move. I'm emailing my professor from my phone, trying to find a phone number to call to see if I can postpone this exam. I sent her an email. She wrote me back saying I couldn't. I put on the baggiest sweatpants, sweatshirt, hair in a bun. I looked like I got run over by a truck. 
I had to stop at a gas station to get a lollipop to put in my mouth because I was so nauseous. I felt like sucking on that would help me through the exam. And I almost lost everything that I studied for just because of that one mini chocolate chip. And that's how much I know that I have this disease and I have this physical allergy and craving and mental obsession beyond my control. And I always excuse me, I always found for me that it wasn't always the event that was the problem, even if it was a party or an occasion, it was always right after. It wasn't that, oh, at that event I'd have to abstain, it's from the release of that event. It's from the, oh, I got through it, I got through it, now my reward. So anyway, really relate to this, thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Kelly J, thanks. Okay, next up is Nessa R, and Nessa will be followed by Tiffany P. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. Vision for you. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So this paragraph, the doctor is telling me that um, my problem is not only in my mind. Uh, it's also in my body. Everybody knew that there was something wrong in the mind of the alcoholic, that nobody even suspected, not even the alcoholic, who also knew there was something wrong with his mind, that there was something wrong with his body. Uh, and this is the innovation that made all the difference in the world to me because I knew there was nothing wrong with my mind because I had a lot of mental control. You know, I finished my undergraduate degree, uh, a four-year undergraduate degree in three years. I was accepted to the MBA program of an Ivy League school at age 20. Um, at 22, I was working um, at an investment bank in New York, and I quickly rose to, to the ranks um, until um, I could no longer control my restlessness, irritability, and discontentment, um, and uh, everything fell apart, and I was eventually, um, eventually let go. And when I came into program, I went to, to meetings that talked about um, imperfect abstinence and sloppy abstinence, almost abstinence, uh, soft abs abstinence. Um, they, they even talked about legal binges. Um, and they spoke about all these things as if they were perfectly okay and perfectly permissible. And, um, you know, of course, um, I, I practiced those things and I never really got anywhere for the first nine years of my tenure in OA. And it was this that there's something wrong with my body, that I have an allergy that manifests itself as a phenomenon of craving, different than the craving that like a normal person would have, a craving that arises after I eat, not before I eat, and a craving that is never satisfied, unlike a normal eater who satisfies their craving just by eating whatever they're craving for and they're done. And I'm never, ever done. You know, and until I learned that, there was absolutely no impetus for me to become entirely abstinent. And entirely abstinent means that if I identify something as a trigger food or trigger ingredient or trigger behavior, I have to be perfect in my abstinence from that trigger food ingredient or behavior, not even a smidgen, not even a tiny little, you know, tiny chocolate chip, nothing, zero. It has to be uh, perfect and complete. And until I understood that, I couldn't stay abstinent. And because I couldn't stay abstinent, 
Um, it didn't matter how well I worked the steps, which, by the way, I never really worked the steps well um, until um, until I became entirely absent. But even if I had, it wouldn't have worked because you know I was still I was still drunk, drunk on my on my on my binge food, but drunk on my you know like having sugar as the tenth ingredient instead of the the second ingredient. It didn't really matter. Sugar is sugar, and it was still in my system. You know, it's like a, an alcoholic saying, well, I can drink 3% beer. Uh, an alcoholic can drink 3% beer, and I cannot have sugar in my 10th ingredient or the 300th ingredient. And this, to Bye -bye. me, made all the difference. Thank you. Um, and with that, I pass. Okay. Thank you so much, Nessa R. Next up is Tiffany P., and Tiffany will be followed by Christina J. Good morning, Tiffany. Good morning. Um, thank you for calling on me. Uh, this is Tiffany P. Recovered in Texas. Um, yeah, the, the, from the first sentence all the way to the last, I just, uh, it, it gives me a sigh of relief to hear that um, I don't eat just because, um, you know, I like food or just because uh, of whatever, right? I, I compulsively overeat because of a, a craving beyond my mental control. And as I was reading those words, um, it makes me think back to all the times from my childhood when I would ask my mom not to bring certain foods into the house. And she would just say, you know, well, just don't eat it. You know, or the times when I would go on a diet and um, try to have just, you know, a hundred calorie pack of something or, you know, just push away from the table like everyone recommends. Um, you know, I thought I just needed to muster up my will and, and, and pick myself up by my bootstraps and get it together and to lose the weight. Um, and it wasn't until I came back to program a second time around and read the doctor's opinion and these words that um, it wasn't because I had a weak will. It wasn't because, you know, I was mentally inferior um, when it came to food. It was because there was something physical, physically different about my body that once I put my um, in those ingredients, sugar, flour, other things for me, into my body, I could not control how much I'm going to consume. Um, you know, there would be those small occasions where I could just have one or just have a bite, but then there were the hundreds, possibly thousands of other times when, you know, my hand was hitting the bottom of the bag and uh, I had to look in and see there was nothing left but empty wrappers because I had eaten everything and couldn't even remember eating it. Um, it made me recall back to childhood when I literally ate so much that my throat was raw and, and sore. Um, because of all the, the sugar that I had consumed in a day and still didn't wasn't able to stop. Um, and so um, I'm reminded when I read these words of uh, a former sponsor once told me, like, we are the, the lucky ones. You know, entire abstinence gives me freedom because I no longer have to play that tug of war, constantly fighting with myself and every place I go, you know, um, trying to refrain from, uh, getting, you know, my binge foods um, or envying people who can eat those foods without, with impunity, as, you know, this chapter says. Um, I don't have to eat those foods today by the grace of God and these 12 steps. And um, 
you know, I, it's not a matter of mental control for me. I know that I'm physically different for whatever reason. I don't have to figure out why. Um, and and that's freedom. For me today, that is freedom. I don't wake up with those binge foods on my mind. Um, and I can go most places without um, the thought of food. And I never had that before. And uh, without these words and these pages, um, I wouldn't have that. And so with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Tiffany P. Next up is Christina J. And Christina will be followed by Victoria L. Good morning, Christina. Morning, Melissa. Morning, everybody on the line. Christina J. from the state of Washington, compulsive overeater here. You know, I have been riddled with this disease for all of my life. Every, almost every waking moment uh, has been filled with thoughts of food, thoughts of trying to control it, thoughts of what's wrong, um, mentally controlling it for many, many times with diets and being proud and losing weight and uh, expecting being thin and model-like to bring me the attention and love I needed. Fat or thin, I did not get the attention I needed. I did not get the love, the tender, caring, cherishing love I needed. Um, thin, I got uh, looks and mean looks from women and uh, lusting looks from men. And fat, I was so embarrassed I would hide in my big clothes and uh, hope nobody looked at me. But the line that stands out for me today after all this trouble that I went through all my life is the business deal this guy lost. I have lost so many events with family, friends. I hide in my room if I'm even 10 or 5 pounds overweight back in the day. Then it got to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I would hide in big giant clothes um, and all that. But I remembered specifically an event I was asked to fly to Washington for a special interview. It was early in my music career with a big music magazine, independent music magazine. And um, I w- wasn't, this was the period in my life was un- I was unable to control anything with a diet, and I was overweight. And in the music business back then, you couldn't be overweight, and you couldn't uh, be old. I'd been lying about my age for years, which is not a big deal, because I always looked younger, but the weight. So I took the flight, and I drove up and down the highways of Seattle, went to my motel room and binged my head off and um, went to Denny's and ate constantly, and I canceled that interview. I lost that interview, and I went home feeling worthless and empty. There's, you know, there's endless experiences like that where I missed out on life. This disease stole life from me. I used to think, you know, it's because I can't control it. No, I'm powerless over this disease. Step one, powerless over this disease. And so it wasn't my fault, but at the same time, it stole so much from me. Today, I don't have to have it steal anything from me because I know that I don't have control over it. It's a craving that starts with that one bite or that one irritable, restless, and discontent thought that builds and builds and builds unless I work these steps like my back end is on fire. Every day I have this. I live in the solution, not the problem. That's the key. Live in the solution, not the problem. And uh, I love, somebody on the line said, God loves action. And boy, that's so true in this program. We take the action, we get the results. And so I encourage anyone on the line to take the action, get in here and work it. And if you have a relapse or if you fall back or whatever, uh, it's okay. Just just start taking action again. Don't sit around and stew in the guilt and the shame because it's okay. We all know what that's like, at least I do. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay. Thank you so much, Christina J. Next up is Victoria L., and then we'll open up the lines again. Um, 
Good morning, Victoria. Good morning. Hi. Good, good morning, everyone. I'm Victoria L. And uh, thank you for your service and uh, for calling on me this morning. I relate so much to what everyone says, especially the, the analogy of the single baby chocolate chip. I mean, for me, very recently, I was working in my yard at a, in a heat and I went to the store and I bought some coconut water. I thought I read the ingredients really well. The ingredient says contains 90% coconut water. I'm like, oh, that should be okay. It's coconut water. And uh, I bought some cans of it and I drank four cans back to back and worked in my yard all day. I'm like, wow, I really have a lot of energy. This is fantastic. And I went back and bought two dozen more cans of that coconut water before I realized that it had sugar in it. And, um, you know, I've been in and out of OA for eight years. I've been following this line for two years straight. I've worked the steps three times back to back with different sponsors all the way through to sponsoring other women. And, um, and about every eight months or so I lose my abstinence and I always have a legitimate reason for losing my abstinence. You know, this time it's because I was diagnosed with a small brain tumor and I felt that was enough to, uh, to break my abstinence because of the fear that I have over the next steps of what needs to happen to go forward. And, um, you know, I called three women that I really love and respect in this program, and they all turned me down to be a sponsor. And I can tell you that in the eight years that I've had of pretty much relapsing over and over and over again, the main consistency is like the analogy in the back of the later in the chapters of the big book where it says, you know, the alcoholic will build a bright future up for himself and then pull it all down on their head. That's exactly what I do. And I'm struggling with this disease and I'm unable to get on the phone after this call for the newcomers meeting because of my job. And, and what I will say is that I need help to regain my abstinence. I cannot be in the food at the same time I'm being treated for a brain tumor. And um, I need a woman who has experienced strength and hope, who has long-time abstinence, who understands what it's like to relapse and who can help bring me to that final surrender and lead me on the path back to God. And if there's someone on this line that can relate to that, I'm on the phone list, on uh, the members list, list of OA, and I hope you'll reach out and give me a call. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Victoria. I'm glad that you're on our phone list. Um, okay, so um, just to kind of remind everybody where we're at, we are on page XXIX, the fourth paragraph. I do not hold. We read one paragraph only. Um, and if you have not shared um, on Friday or Monday, um, we encourage you to speak up. This is Larry is Kay. Karen Kay. Larry Kay. Before Karen, there was somebody else I missed. Yeah, Jennifer C. Janita P. Okay, wait, Jennifer C. There was someone else before it was it Denise? Yvette L. Yvette L. L. Okay, Geneva so P. Diane C. Okay. Okay, I have Larry K, Yvette L, Karen K, Jennifer, I didn't get your last initial, Diane C. C. 
I'm sorry? Sorry, C, Jennifer C. Jennifer C, Diane C. Was there one more that I missed? Geneva P. Something P, what was that? Geneva. Geneva, okay. Great. All right, so that's going to be our lineup. Larry K, Yvette L, Karen K, Jennifer C, Diane C, Geneva P. And um, All right, Larry, go ahead, my friend. Get us started. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Melissa. Uh, much appreciated. You know, the, um, we read here, you know, it's as if the, the, the alcoholic food substance just hijacks my brain's natural, you know, motivational systems here, right? It, it results in me, you know, in binging becoming the priority for me. And, and many times things were going well. You know, the, again, these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. I have many examples of that. I'll give you just one. I was just married. You know, the younger man that I was back then, we, we built a new home. Um, I had lost all the weight through running and so on and so forth. Um, and I can remember after the honeymoon, you know, coming back and moving into our home. And I did what all, as my wife, my new wife went off to work, I did what all psychologists do that should be working at, you know, 1030 in the morning. There I am in my boxer shorts in front of the TV with a half gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream and a big old spoon. And I was trying to overcome a craving beyond my mental control. And I'll tell you the humorous part. It's not so humorous, right? But I'll tell you the humorous part. There I was again, you know, barely dressed in front of the TV on a, on a Monday morning. My wife went off to work and unbeknownst to me, I thought she'd be back at, you know, four or five o'clock, six o'clock. She had a meeting with, with a bunch of her colleagues across town and she was on her way. She wanted to show them our new home. So I hear the key <laughs> startled the key and I couldn't make a run for it. Right. I couldn't make a break for it to hide such shame as as my wife you know entered with three other people and there I am with the half gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream in my boxer shorts quite a sight here right funny but not not really so funny you know and and I wasn't I wasn't a bad guy trying to you know get away with something this was a you know this substance when I get a hit of the substance it hijacks my brain and all I could do is want more. And by the way, things were going pretty well. I'm painting a picture of things going pretty darn well. They were. But you know what? This substance owned me. And, um, and so many, and we all have stories, you know, different stories, a different narrative. You know, it's just part of my narrative. But I'll never forget these things because it wasn't just as the weight came on, it was the shame and it was the remorse and just feeling horrible about myself. You know, this is a craving, is an overwhelming emotional experience. It takes over your body. It does hijack your brain. Only a spiritual experience for me would be the answer, but I wasn't to know that for many years. So, so very grateful that there, we do have a way out. With that, I pass. Thanks, Melissa. Okay. Thank you so much, Larry Kay. Next up is Yvette L. and then Karen Kay. Good morning, Yvette. Good morning, Melissa. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Yvette L., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New Britain, Connecticut. 
Um, so, so very grateful uh, for this spiritual solution, and it is only um, a spiritual solution um, that re- relieves me of the obsession. Um, I just had an experience last week. I was uh, with one of my naturopathic doctors, and um, you know, I've lost um, you know most of the weight I think that I need to lose. And she was talking to me about food plans and. You know, she showed me a food plan that included snacks, and the disease said, ooh, a doctor says I can have a snack. And gratefully, um, the next thought was, um, you know, I've been abstinent almost a year and a half, and I haven't had a snack. I haven't needed a snack. Um, so I don't need snacks. Um, and that was one of the many um, lies that my disease told me. Not that, you know, some people do need snacks, but they don't work for me. Um, and you know, the lie that my disease was, was trying to convince me of was that my doctor said it was okay. So of course it's okay. Um, but it's not. And gratefully, um, my higher power stepped in with that next thought that, oh, you don't need a snack of that. You haven't had a snack in all this time. You don't need it. Um, but that's how insidious this disease is. It is cunning, baffling, powerful, and insidious. And if I don't maintain my spiritual connection with my higher power, it's just waiting it is just waiting to take me out. Um, so I've got to do the work that I need to do, the footwork um, to stay connected to that power greater than myself. Um, and if I do that work, um, then, you know, uh, God will step in and, you know, take care of the obsession. You know, gratefully, I just took that food plan and, you know, tossed it in the garbage because I don't need it. Um, and I can have um, a pretty amazing life. It's not easy all the time. It doesn't say that it's going to be easy all the time in the big book. But I do have a design for living that works in every single situation if I work it in every single situation. So I'm so grateful that um, my big book guide um, encouraged me, strongly encouraged me to get a new uh, big book last um, summer when we started to work together because then I could really clearly see you know, the, the mental part, the mental twist is by far the greater aspect of this disease, and only a spiritual solution is going to take care of that. So thanks for letting me share. I pass. Okay, thank you so much for that, Al. Next up is Karen Kay, and Karen will be followed by Jennifer C. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. I'm uh, Karen Kay, a recovered compulsive eater. From sunny Syracuse, New York, we got some this morning, guys, and uh, my credits don't transfer. Um, when I came into OA the first time, it was all about, uh, from my perception, not the group's perception, uh, 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 a diet with uh, um, group support. And when I came in this time, several years later, I had the gift of, de- of desperation. My God knew the day I was going to come into OA. And when I learned on uh, the Region 2 convention a couple of weeks ago, the two misused, underused steps are steps 2 and 10. And the most um, underused or misunderstood is step 3 and 4. And I have the privilege, the privilege, the duty, and honor to work with women and to help them. But God is running the show. When they come and ask me with a question, I say you you need to pray about it because I don't want to be accountable for that for that decision. And I had the the privilege to hear stories from women all over the world. And what an honor that is. I'm humbled by it. Sometimes it just makes me want to cry that I'm just so grateful. And um I know God will put people in my life on the local level 
that I'm able to help, but I do know my credits do not transfer into OA, and I must be teachable. With that, I'll pass, and thank you for your service. Okay, thank you so much, Karen Kay. Next up is Jennifer C., and Jennifer will be followed by Diane C. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. This is Jennifer C., recovered in Greenville, South Carolina, and so grateful. Um, so I was thinking about <clears throat> this morning I was making my husband um, breakfast, and uh, in the past when there was some leftover uh, breakfast of his, as I go to make mine, there's an ingredient that I use for his that I can't have. But in the past, I would have said to myself, no big deal, right? This is an opportunity to get a little bit of that sweetness. And today, I know that um, to thine own self be true, right? I'm not running from anybody today. I'm not trying to get away with as much as I can and still call myself abstinent. By doing that, by sneaking in any ingredients, I'm ultimately giving myself over to my disease and taking a very big risk. And so that alone for me today was just a really good reminder that, you know, this disease will get in with an ounce of an ingredient or it will get in with a cookie and a cake, except today if it said to me, go eat a cake, I would say, get out of my face, you're crazy. But so, so now it's the, the smaller ingredients, right? But it's still a monster. It's still this big monster trying to take me out. And so I'm grateful for the clarity today because the truth of the matter is, the craziest thing I can do today, I just heard this the other day, and it just really stuck with me. Of all the crazy things I can do with food, of all the crazy things we've all done with food, steal, take it out of the trash, put laundry detergent on it, eat it anyway, you name it, right? The craziest thing I can do today is ingest a substance when I'm entirely abstinent. If I have entire abstinence, and if I am free from the physical craving, and I still choose to put a poisonous substance in my body. That is the craziest thing I can do. And the inner work I do will never, uh, will never make me holier than my cravings, right? I used to think that I could get to a point where I could like maybe mess around a little bit with my yellow lights. Well, I'll get recovered and then I'll reassess. Well, that's crazy because I'll never be more spiritual than this physical allergy, bottom line. And so today, today, the paramount you know, the paramount uh, work that I have to do is my recovery, right? So in order for my disease to stay in its place and not have um, dominion over my life today is that I need to make my recovery paramount. I need to make my recovery have the place above all other interests. And that's my step one today. That's when I truly became willing to get recovered is when my recovery became more important than anything. That's the definition of paramount, that it, that's more important than anything and that it becomes supreme. My recovery is more important today than anything and is supreme. Why? Because that's the nature of my illness and it needs to be stronger than my illness. It needs to be more paramount. My recovery needs to be as supreme as my disease will be if I allow that door to be open. So thank you so much for this for this meeting this morning. Thank you everyone for your recovery and I'm just so grateful for this process. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Jennifer C. Thank you. Next up is Diane C and Diane will be followed by Geneva P. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, Melissa. Thanks for your service this morning. Hi, I'm Diane C from Baltimore. I'm recovered from compulsive overeating by the grace of God. 
um, <clears throat> I was born a compulsive overeater. If if I if it could be researched and discovered whether I had been a compulsive overeater in utero, I'm sure that I would have. Um, when I was three months old, my aunt was taking care of me, and I was asleep in my little infant seat. Um, I should mention that we are Italian. So for some reason, my sweet Italian aunt, who is no longer with us, um, put the spoon to my mouth uh, while I was asleep, and I ate it. So this became a family story that people like to bring up at family gatherings that highlighted how much I like to eat, and it brought me so much shame because I was an overweight child, and my weight seemed to be a subject of open conversation in the family. Um, um, I just felt that I was, uh, it was sort of um, a free-for-all to discuss my weight, whether it was going up or down. for some reason, no one ever focused on why my aunt decided it was a good idea to feed a sleeping baby, but that's beside the point. Um, I also felt ashamed because I was sure that I was just defective and weak. Um, I'm not sure was it what was in that baby food, whether it was Gerber baby food or um, whether it contained Cairo syrup, which was um, common back in the day. So I'm thinking that perhaps that allergy that I was born with was triggered. Um, <clears throat> and... So after a lifetime of yo-yo dieting, which started in my teenage years, and staying at goals for about 15 minutes, as someone said earlier this morning, I came into OA Vision um, and began working with a sponsor this spring. And we addressed entire abstinence, which included not eating sugar. So when I said I was not going to have sugar, I thought it meant sugary foods like candy, ice cream, baked goods. So I was not really reading labels consistently. So it came to light that there were some foods that I was ingesting that contained small amounts of sugar. These were actually condiments. And my sponsor very gently but firmly and wisely said that she wanted me to put down all sugar, that entire abstinence meant all sugar, and that it wasn't going anywhere and that when recovered I could decide later if um, I could have those condiments. And at first I resisted. There was definitely rebellion uh, welling up in me, but I really trusted her by then. And I trusted God and the program. And um, even though I thought, for real, I can't even taste the sugar. You can't mean this, these ketchup. But because, um, because I wanted to get recovered, I found other products. I talked to other fellows and found other condiments that were sugar-free. So now in mid-August, I am recovered. And the miracle is not only am I living in freedom of recovery, but I have no desire for those condiments. And there are some other, there are some other things that I thought, well, once I get recovered, I'm going to see if I can have those. And I have no desire for those as well. And that is just such a miracle. And I can just, now I understand uh, what entire abstinence is and I can appreciate and now I can share that. And I'm, and I'm just, um, I'm working with a new sponsee and we've just had the same discussion and I can, I can um, share recovery and um, the freedom that is awaiting her if she is to be entirely abstinent and work the steps. And I thank you for the opportunity to share and I pass. Okay. 
Thank you. Thanks so much, Diane C. Okay, next up is Geneva P. Good morning, Geneva. Good morning. I'm Geneva P. from outside Chicago, compulsive overeater. Um, hooray for sugar-free condiments. You know, I thought um, I could control my eating and have a piece of pie. And when my sponsor said, you know, there's sugar in other things, um, and what she shared with me is that, you know, let's get some abstinence under your belt, and then you can revisit that. And what I found is I got some sugar-free um, condiments, and when I initially tried them, I thought, this is just disgusting. But as I continued to cleanse my body of sugar, I realized that I'm able to really taste the true flavor of things, you know, that are not um, disguised by sugar. So I just wanted to share that. But um, also, I went through at the beginning of this quarantine, um, a really difficult ending of a relationship. And I was able to stay abstinent. Um, I kept telling myself, I'm so full of fear, guilt, and shame right now, I can't take on any more by overeating. And so I had just about 30 days. I was a pound or two away from my goal weight. And I've noticed this pattern. Uh, when I hit my goal weight or I'm very close, my disease comes in with one little lie that says, you can have a little piece or you can participate in the compulsive food behaviors just this once because, look, you're already at your goal weight. And it's almost like the craving sets in once I see that number on the scale. And I am a built-in forgetter. You know, I, I get there. I realized, you know, what I've been working towards. And then all of a sudden, the incomprehensible demoralization that I just experienced, you know, a few weeks back or a month back or six months back um, is out the window. So I can't afford that first bite. And what I've noticed by coming to vision is when I get to that goal weight, now having this beautiful awareness, I don't have to continue to repeat that pattern. And that's call for me today. Um, the other piece of recovery in my life today is I get to do what I don't feel like doing. And for so long, my, my whole life, I thought, you know, I have to feel like doing something in order to do it. And most everything in my life today, you know, responsibilities and all of these different things, these blessings that God has put in my life, um, a lot of times I have to move through the discomfort of not wanting them to do it, of not wanting to do them to receive, you know, the gift that God has for me. And with that, I'll pass. Okay, thank you. thank you so much, Geneva Pay. So Geneva was our last share today, and I want to thank um, everybody who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Tuesday, August 17th, this 7 a.m. meeting, is 15 
175. That's 15175. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Allison L. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, Melissa. Thank you for your service. This is Allison L. I'm a recovery compulsive overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day to the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.